Welcome to Hence the Future podcast. I'm Matamor Cronin. And I'm Justin Clark. And today we're discussing the future of presence. So to start, I'd like to tell the story of how one man became enlightened. And that man is Eckhart Tolle. And I just love this story because it's so simple and beautiful. And it really gets at the dichotomy between the thinker of thoughts and the observer of thoughts and how you can have presence. So Eckhart was in the midst of a suicidal depression, like the worst he had ever had. And he kept hearing his voice inside his own head saying, I can't live with myself. I can't live with myself over and over again. And then all of a sudden it got so bad that he had this profound realization and this epiphany where he said, he thinks, how can I not live with myself? Are there two selves? Which self is the true self? How can this be the case that I can't live with myself? There must be some false self that is causing me all of this pain. And mm-hmm. by observing that self with my higher self, you know, what Nietzsche calls the ubermensch or, you know, the superego, whatever yeah, yeah. term you want to use, uh, by doing that, he can end his own suffering. And so when he had that realization, he also heard within himself the words resist nothing. And upon doing so, by his own account, he became enlightened by falling into the void within himself. Not a void somewhere else, but it was like he fell within the internal void that lives within himself, like inside of his chest. Hmm. And afterwards, people would ask him, they'd, they would notice how peaceful he was and how happy he was in all aspects of life. And they'd say, hey, I want what you have. Can you give me mm-hmm. what you have or can you show me how to get it? Right. And he would say, you already have it. It's just that your mind is making so much noise that you can't feel it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, sorry. No, that's it. That's it. So uh, that reminds me of the uh, happiness hypothesis by mm. Jonathan Haidt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he, he also talks about sort of this dichotomy that you were just mentioning where your brain is divided into uh, two main parts, kind of like the the primal limbic system mm-hmm. that's like it has all of your primal urges. And then you also have your neocortex, which is the the new kind of in, enlightened portion of our brain, or at least the thing that can become uh, the driver of everything that we're doing. And what he was saying is when... If, so if you think of the limbic system as just some crazy elephant and the neocortex as the rider of mm. this crazy elephant, then happiness comes from being able to have those two in sync. Right. So it kind of reminds me of the same thing. It's like this dichotomy where you need to balance both. Like both thought patterns are important and both parts of the brain are important, but you need to make sure they're at least in sync. And you can right. do this by being present. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I know in my own life, like, you know, I, when I was in my angsty teenage years, I had depression and I was on antidepressant medication and anti-anxiety medication. And, you know, I was really in despair at certain times. And especially at night, you know, laying in bed trying to get to sleep, you would mm-hmm. just go over all of these things in, in my head where... Mm-hmm. I would think of something I said wrong, something I could have phrased better. Maybe it was an email I wrote. Maybe it was a remark I made to a friend. And I would just keep beating myself up about it. Like, oh, you fucking idiot. Why did you do that? Like being so hard on myself. And 
I still have that today. Like I still go through all of those thoughts yeah. when I'm laying in bed. But the mm -hmm. difference is that now I observe those thoughts and I think of it like, like, oh, silly, silly thinker of thoughts. Like <laughs> almost like how you would think of the antics of a child that's whining. You're like, oh, right. that's, that's interesting that I keep going over those same negative thought patterns. It must be indicative that I need to improve in some way. And I, I still have the thoughts, but I don't identify with them. It's more like I'm just observing some chemical reaction from like a, yeah. you know, objective, disinterested bird's eye view. Yeah. And that seems to show, you know, some form of mental maturity or mental, you know, some, some form of enlightenment that you can step back and reflect on those types of things. And I know a lot of people have trouble with it, especially, so I, I have the same sort of thing, but the more tired I am, for example, the harder it is for me to recognize that, oh, this is just a loop. That oh, yeah. I'm, or if you're, you know, or if you're hangry. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, if I wake up in the middle of the night at 3 o'clock and something just immediately stresses me out because I forgot about something, you know, something along those lines, I'm tired. So those loops, it's harder to break out of those loops than it is in the beginning of the day or, you know, when, when I'm awake and have more control. But it's really interesting to think about that and try to step back and think about these different thought patterns and how, how you can break away from negative thought patterns like that just right. by being the observer. Yeah, I, I really like the metaphor that Sam Harris uses on this point too where he says that mindfulness is like realizing that the reason your hand has been hurting for all these years is because you've had a clenched fist and all of a sudden you look down and you're like oh shit my fist has been clenched all these years and so you loosen it and the pain goes away and then you still sometimes even after that you'll notice that oh my fist is clenched again but you become better and better at noticing that and relaxing mm -hmm. and over time you just have a much more enjoyable existence yeah and someone i forgot who says this it might be um, Dan Harris with 10% happier. Oh, yeah, yeah. But he says, like, every time you can recognize a thought pattern, some sort of negative thought pattern like that, yeah. it's like a mental bicep curl. Right. So, so it's just like one little strength rep. Every time you can notice yourself wandering in thought and, and losing the present moment. Yeah, it's like training your mind in the same way yeah. you train your body. It's mental fitness, like just like, you know, in the last episode we talked about future fitness. Mm -hmm. But I also like this. So also one thing Eckhart Tolle talks about is that emotion is where your mind and body meet. Mm -hmm. So the emotion is like you because you feel emotions like, you oh, know, right. for instance, yeah. if you're angry, you contract or even if you're thinking really hard about a problem, it's like you contract your eyebrow muscles and your forehead mm -hmm. muscles and you're like really thinking about a problem. But there's a reason that the word mindful is full. Your mind is full because when you relax all of those muscles, like everyone who's listening to this podcast right now, just like close your eyes and just relax all of the muscles in your eyebrows and the corners of your face and, and, and you'll feel your mind just expands. And you can be so much better in any sort of situation, high pressure, creative, whatever it may be, if you have that mindful attitude. I mean, like the way that I've, I was thinking about this is like, 
you know, for instance, any like pick your favorite talk show. Like I love Bill Maher, but you know, whatever mm-hmm. talk show you like, yeah. imagine two different guests going on that talk show. One guest is the guest who prepares a statement before he goes on. He knows exactly what he's going to say. He's done it in the mirror a million times. And regardless of what the interviewer asks him, he just regurgitates this awkward sounding statement that just doesn't feel natural. And then take the second guest who goes on just totally Zen, not anticipating any questions, just peaceful, like, you know, just Mm -hmm. shooting the shit and just responds naturally to whatever arises in the present moment. Which guest do you think is going to be received better? Which one do you think is going to be invited back on the show? Yeah, I mean, the second one. Yeah. So, I mean, so, you know, even in business or things where you... people tend to think, oh, no, it's important to think really hard. And, you know, to mm-hmm. even in those situations, if you are just mindful and have presence, you'll have much better results. Yeah, I mean, people just feel gravitated towards those kind of people. If you're someone who's just on, like, anxious all the time, trying to think about every possible scenario and all of these different things, I think that is a little bit, someone that's like that is a little bit harder to connect with than someone that is just open to everything. Yeah. I think there's just the, the, when people are more open to being hearing, listening and having a conversation rather than trying to get their specific points off, then it just, you yeah. know, it just makes more sense. And that's kind of what it seems like we try to do here right. you know, as best as, as best as we can. But yeah, I mean, our early episodes were kind of awkward cause we were like, Oh uh-huh. shit, are we going to mess up? Like we got to really prepare <laughs> what we're going to say. But now we do it more naturally, and I think the uh, episodes are a lot better. But it's the same reason why people love dogs so much. Because oh, yeah. dogs are always just totally in the present. Like, they are so emotionally available. Like, what, whatever emotion you have, whether you're feeling sad or angry or happy, your dog like will notice that emotion and then come and give you love regardless. Uh-huh. And I think if, if everyone could be a little bit more like dogs in that respect, then, you know, everyone's going to love you if you act like a dog. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Even though people use that, the word dog as an insult, which I'll never understand. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm all about dogs. I love, I just love how they, it doesn't even matter if they, like some dogs just can't even really perceive it. At least it seems like some dogs don't really even know what's going on, but it doesn't matter. Like it, they don't even care what, you're feeling really they just want to give you love they want to be there for you always yeah Yeah, it's just yeah it's a really really cool animal it's cool how we evolve together right well there's this one thought experiment which is imagine the earth devoid of human beings where Mm -hmm. it's just plants and animals and then think of does time even exist in that world does it mean anything to say that oh the date today is this and it's this a clock and what like it really doesn't i mean if you asked an eagle or a tree what time is it they'll say well the time is now what else is there yeah you know? i guess i guess the time itself doesn't really matter they would just respond to you know the the rotation of the earth and night and day really and the seasons but but it's i guess it's a totally different way to look at time than right. what we do well they i mean they just live it as a never-ending series of present moments yeah yeah and that's what they talk that's 
what the power of now is about, really. Yeah. And I really like, um, I really like, I forget who, who, oh, this is Alan Watts. Alan Watts talked about time as being, or the present moment as being like a gong. I think I've mentioned this before, but it's like the present moment reality is like hitting a gong. And that is very real. And, you know, that present moment is very real. But the further you get away from that, the further into the past, the more blurry, the less real it feels. Like even going back to the time of Harry Truman and hearing his, you know, old timey radio voice uh, talking about world war. And it just doesn't feel real. It's like, what the hell was the world like back then? And then same thing if you go into the future. Like I know for certain what's going to happen, you know, five minutes from now. But the further I go into the future, talking about 2030, 2040, 2050, it becomes way less real because there's multiple realities that could fork off. And then same thing with side to side. Like if you're deciding, oh, am I going to go to this breakfast spot or that breakfast spot? Like both of those exist. Both of those parallel universes exist. And just like how you can reverberate reality out in the past and the future and it gets less and less real the further out it goes you can do the same thing with parallel uh, universes in the multiverse going out towards the sides and so i think if you just view life as as all being centered around this present moment and that's really all that's real and you dedicate yourself to living in that moment as much as possible then you'll be much happier and more successful yeah and i think um we as kids kind of lived that way, right? We're just kind of always enjoying the moment, enjoying hanging out with yeah. our friends and playing around on, you know, the swing set and all that stuff. But as we get older and older, it seems like we, at least some people tend to move away from that. Like it's more, oh, what do I need for this next, what do I need to pay for with this next next paycheck? Or what do I need to do in my job? All of these things is kind of like looking into the future, trying to plan something based on the future, rather than living in the present and enjoying the present. Right. I mean, it's like that, the higher self you were talking about earlier, where when you're a kid, it's kind of like you're an animal. Like you Uh don't know what's going on from like a logical mental perspective, but you feel what's going on and you feel what's true in the same way that a dog or, you know, a chimpanzee feels it to be true. And then when you go through puberty, it's like you lose that, that sense of being, that sense of presence and you become like all mind energy. And then Mm -hmm. once you, you know, hopefully in your adulthood through philosophy and meditation and whatever else, you come to have the best of both worlds. So you understand the mental world of reasoning, but you also re-remember what, what it means to, to have presence. Okay. So you said uh, mind energy. What, so what do you mean, just for listeners, by mind energy? Yeah. So mind energy is, I would say, how 90% of people think or feel energy, like how they go about their day. So... When, or just 90% of the time. So if you're solving some sort of problem or any sort of analytical thinking and you're basically just mm-hmm. trying to throw like mental power at a situation to solve it, mm-hmm. um, that's like mind energy. And a lot okay. of that is associated with your idea of yourself, like who you've built yourself up to be through this narrative story that everyone tells themselves. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. everyone's the star of their own play kind of a right. thing. 
Yeah. Whereas being energy is not about any sort of storytelling. It's just fully living in the now and just okay. having that mindfulness. So they say that one of the best ways to have that sort of meant that sort of being energy is sorry, I'm like about to sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> no but one of the ways to have that being energy is just to close your eyes and feel the energy field within yourself. And I've, I've actually started doing this at night, like before going to sleep, where if you just like close your eyes and you're totally relaxed, you can feel a force field within your own body if you pay attention. And you yeah. can even direct that force field to different parts of your body. So if you have like a certain backache, you can direct your force field to that part. Sometimes I'll just like start at the bottoms of my feet and then move the force field all the way up to the top of my head. And like yeah. that's feeling your being energy. Like if you were trying to connect with a tree and you're standing next to that tree and you're trying to vibe with that tree, that's pure being energy. You're not thinking okay. about anything. You're just feeling towards that tree. You're like sending off all your good vibes in that direction. Mm -hmm. Whereas mental energy is all like calculating and, you know, doing back of the napkin, you know, calculations uh, and thinking about things in a very rational, you know, American yeah. type of way. I really like that form of meditation, like the body scan where you kind of direct all of your energy and your focus to your feet. And, and then as you go up, you know, you, you can notice all of these different things in within your body that are typically hidden from, you know, your conscious being. And, um, that just, uh, that's a form of mindfulness, correct? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Okay. I mean, it's like mindfulness, but really it's your whole body, not just your mind. Right. So I yeah. don't know what the right, I mean, I think presence really is the best term uh -huh. for it, which why we chose that for this episode. Mm -hmm. Do you have any favorite forms of meditation? Well, I, I really like, I mean, Vipassana is my best, just my favorite just in general, mm -hmm. because that's just not thinking about anything at all. So, uh -huh. you know, one way to start doing that is to focus on the breath. So really like mm -hmm. just saying in your own mind, like in, out, and you just focus on saying in and out over and over. Mm -hmm. um, another thing that I'll do sometimes is, you know, loving kindness meditation, which is you okay. really focus on having compassion. And that sometimes is good, especially if there's something going on in your own life, emotional, or if you have a loved right. one that's suffering, if you mm -hmm. just focus on the person that you love and you just really emanate that love from your own being and focus on that feeling of compassion, mm -hmm. um, that's a really good, good way to do it as well. Yeah. Another one is like, if you listen to the sounds um, you know, that's another great meditation where, you, especially if it's like, well, I did this a lot when it was raining in LA where yeah. you just like sit in your house and you just focus on the sound of the rain and you try to hear as many raindrops as far away and 360 degrees. Yeah. And all of a sudden it feels like you're just totally at peace and in synchronicity with the, with the universe. Yeah. yeah that's my favorite kind of, I guess that would be a mindfulness so if you go out and, you know, you hear all the birds chirping, so you can try to pinpoint where all of these birds are. And maybe if you know something about birds, you can try to figure out what type of bird is making this noise and 
there's always these these little things that you don't typically pick up on unless you're just there in the present moment trying to you know be one with your surroundings right Um, so I, i just like i mean meditation in general is a great way to come back to the present moment it's it's Mm. just a practice and living in the present i think um but there's there's so many different flavors i know there's transcendental meditation which i've never tried but um what i'm aware of is that it's uh mantra based so you just kind of have your own mantra where you'll you know say some something i don't even know what well we we did that in uh I, I had one yogi who would do that in her classes and at the end of every class she would have you say I love being me I am okay. truly happy so they are okay. sort of those words of affirmation but they're powerful because if you I mean most people you know they say that the mind is a wonderful slave but a terrible master most people uh-huh. are are being oppressed by their by the thinker of thoughts in their own life Mm-hmm. They're they're being whipped. They're they're uh, you know they're just having terrible treatment, uh-huh. and so if you can just force yourself to say like I am truly happy. I love being me. I'm grateful for what I have. People love me. If you say those things, that really does have an impact. Yeah. So if the mind you know is really bad at controlling itself, what do you think? What do you think are the common causes, especially today with all the technology and everything yeah. going on? Because, like, for me, I think social media is one that it very it very quickly brings me out of the present moment and just kind of puts me on an autopilot oh, where I'm yeah. not really I'm not really anywhere. Like, I don't even know I'm not really in the past or the present. I'm just kind of like not aware, really. So yeah, I don't even like know how to classify that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the way I look at it is. So think about how we evolved. We evolved out on the plains of Africa, you know, chest to the ground, mosquitoes on our skin, hunting mm-hmm. these wild animals to survive for our lives so we can feed our kids so they won't starve and die. You know, running around from predators. I mean, that is all living in the present moment. I'm sure there are sometimes also, even back then, where They'd be considering different options for where to go in the winter. And, you know, they probably had some suffering in regards to there, although a lot of it was probably necessary so that they could survive. But most of their life was spent doing things that bring you into the present moment, especially, you know, high intensity athletics brings people into the present moment, socializing, face to face conversations, real connections. All these things bring you into the present moment. And then fast forward to today. So today, we, the only time you will definitely feel like you're in the present moment is if you are in like a high-intensity workout or like a yoga class or maybe you are on like the vacation you take once every five years and you see some beautiful mountain and it's like, oh, wow, isn't that great? Yeah. But yeah. the rest of the time, you're totally not in the present moment. You're, mm-hmm. Because what we value is, as humans in business is your ability to forecast different scenarios like, okay, what moves should we make? Like, which product should we launch? How should we position it? Mm-hmm. And so all of our time is spent planning out future scenarios 
And we're also constantly being reminded of past scenarios because now we measure everything, we measure performance. Oh, why was there a slight drop in GDP? Yeah. Why is unemployment? You know, all mm -hmm. of these things. So now just by the nature of, of modernity is we spend very little time in the present because mm -hmm. we're spending all of our energy on the past and the future. And, mm -hmm. and it's hard to turn this off. Like unless you practice meditation, it's really hard to find the off button. So even if you do go on that vacation that you've been saving up for, or even when you do come back from work, the tendency is to just keep being in this non-present state where, like you said, you're just numbing yourself with social media or you just like turn on some, you know, you turn on Netflix or, you know, you're not really being fully present. You're not fully living. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and the other thing too is even if you attempt, like the, the barrier I think is unfortunately high for a lot of people because if they're trying to meditate and better themselves, they, you know, they're getting text messages and notifications and right. cars honking in the background or people walking around everywhere. So I think there's, you know, there are a lot of problems with modern society in you know taking people out of the present moment um we we love technology as futurists but we also need to think about how we're designing this technology right and what that's doing to people's state of mind well that's why it's so key that you control your technology your technology doesn't control mm -hmm. you so right. for instance one of the my favorite life hacks that is just an ios feature it's not really a hack but I keep my phone on do not disturb 24 seven. And mm. then I just allow calls from favorites. So if my mom okay. calls my wife, you know, my, some of my important colleagues at work, mm -hmm. those calls will go through, but anyone else, like some telemarketer from Uganda who literally tried right. to call me like five times yesterday, like, you know, actually happened <laughs> or Google always is calling me about like my business, you know, yeah, all of yeah. those horrible calls that that don't deserve your time. And then at night, I put my phone in airplane mode, so there's yeah. no chance of anything getting through to me. Mm -hmm. So I mean, little hacks like that they make it so that you're in control of your life. You're not just like mm -hmm. some agent of the techno technocracy. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, and then beyond that, you know, people people can train themselves through stuff like meditation or mindfulness. Like one of the things that Sam Harris talks about a lot is road rage. Yeah. Right? Like if someone cuts you off in traffic, you spend the rest of your day just fuming about how this person is inconsiderate and, you know, you have places to be and you're just dwelling on this little tiny thing that happened at right. some point. I heard an interesting analogy. Um, I forgot where it was, but basically it was it was someone who was asking a kid i think they were teaching mindfulness to children and they said so if you had $86,000 in your bank and you lost $10 of that would you spend the rest of your money all 86 or 85,090 to get that $10 back or would you just say, okay, whatever, I'll let that go. And the, so the point of that is there are eight, around 86,000 seconds in a day. So if you spend all of the rest of your time trying to get those 10 seconds back because somebody cut you off in traffic or somebody right, made you upset, right. then, you know, you're, it's a really 
it's a huge waste of resources, whether that's time or money in the analogy. So there's there's a lot of different ways you can come back to the present and just let things go. And, yeah, and well, well, there's this feedback loop that goes on inside you when something like mm -hmm. that happens. Like if someone cuts you off in traffic, you your body swells up with anger and offense mm -hmm. and you contract your muscles and you get in that mode of like, shit's about to go down. And yeah. then if you if at that point you observe the thinker of thoughts in the way that we're talking, then it'll just subside because you're not feeding it with any additional mental negative energy. Right. But if you instead, then you get your mind into it like, oh yeah, how could this, how dare this guy cut me off? Who does he think he is? Oh yeah, someone in a Prius, of course that guy in a Prius would do it. Like you start, <laughs> you start wor like twirling all of these thoughts inside your head and that feeds into your negative body energy mm -hmm. too. And it just becomes this feedback loop and you're only harming yourself, yeah. you know? So. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there are these things called, I mean, they're the um, negative feedback loops where you literally just one bad thing builds on another, or you could build virtuous feedback loops or virtuous cycles where if something happens, then some, then you respond in a good way and then that'll build on itself too. So it's probably better to try to build positive cycles rather than these negative cycles. And right. I think by living in the present, you can do that. Because everything just kind of gets better once you live in the present. Like you were saying earlier, people are more gravitate. They they will gravitate towards you um, yeah, more. Yeah. So there's just all of these good things that can happen if you live in the present and just make that kind of a way of life. Oh yeah, I mean your attitude is really infectious. Mm -hmm. So if and they say, I mean you know there have been studies where they have found that angry people tend to be drawn to other angry people when it comes to conflict. So if there's like, Interesting. well, I think we, I didn't, maybe we talked about this with the Liam Neeson situation, but you know, uh, maybe we didn't, maybe I was just thinking about it. But anyways, the whole Liam Neeson controversy mm. was that his good friend was um, assaulted by an African American or African British. I don't know where it was exactly. Yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. it was Ireland yeah. by a black man. Okay. And so Liam Neeson took that as like a personal, like tribal sort of offense. So he would go around with a bludgeon in his trench coat, just waiting for some, for some, in his words, like a black bastard so he could beat him up on behalf yeah. of his friend. And yeah. if you think about that situation, it's like he has all of this anger inside himself. And how is he going to choose who he's going to hit with the bludgeon? He's not going to yeah. choose some peaceful, happy guy who just is emanating peace, joy and love. He's going to choose mm -hmm. someone who looks at him the wrong way, maybe brushes up against his shoulder on the street, like slights uh -huh. him in some way. That's the guy he's going to attack. Uh -huh. And it's yeah. the same thing with, you know, in any situation, whether it's like a life or death fighting situation or whether it's just like going into a negotiation or a job interview, mm -hmm. whatever it may be. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. That's that's a really interesting uh, scenario, too. I, I don't know. Um, I guess it was best for him to say that out loud. I know that some people have, you know, thoughts like that that yeah. might be better kept inward. But I guess, you know, if that's his way of dealing with it and bringing that out to the world, interesting. I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe. I think it allowed people to learn something from it. 
you know because yeah. it sounds he doesn't think that think that way anymore is what it seemed like from yeah the yeah, yeah. But, his way of kind of like reconciling his previous self right but it does bring up the point of the pain body, which is another thing Eckhart Tolle okay. talks about, which is you have this body of pain from things that have happened to you in the past, like if you know if something happened to you in your childhood or whatever, or with your people, like your tribe, whoever you associate yourself with. So especially if you're part of an oppressed group, like if you're a female and you know that women have been oppressed in the past, or if you're... A person of color and you know that your people have been oppressed in the past you right. carry around this pain body with you and as the more that you self-identify with that pain body and saying like oh i am part of this oppressed group i'm angry at the people who are the oppressors and you carry that with you and that becomes your identity that's who you are the more pain you're going to suffer as a result so the more we can disidentify with the pain body and realize that Yes, things have happened that haven't always been great, but that's not me. That's not the everlasting, unchanging nature of being. That's just right. something that doesn't have to be identified with my truest inner self. Mm. And I, I mean, that's, that's one thing that, that has been, you know, there's been a big debate recently around reparations, around whether the U.S. should give reparations to black people whose ancestors were slaves. Because, you know, the argument on the reparation side is that we did some serious wrong to yeah. these people. So we should give them reparations, whether, you know, one thing that's been suggested is when we have like universal college, like free college, maybe we first do a pilot program just with the African-American community because they should benefit the most because they were basically put down for the longest time. And yeah. you can see like there's a lot of good arguments on that side. But what's interesting is on the other side of the argument, people like Coleman Hughes and other people have said, the more that we identify with ourselves as either oppressors or oppressed, and the more that we like fit ourselves into these boxes of different groups, the more the the, the less we'll be able to, um, you know, come out of this into a more enlightened age where we're all just people. I'm a person, yeah. you're a person, so. I mean, I don't know yeah. exactly how I think about this this issue, but it's it's interesting that you don't want to be identified with with any sort of pain body, but you also want to do right by you know the wrong that's been yeah. done in history. Yeah, that's that's actually interesting. I, I haven't heard about that. So you know, my first reaction is if so, I would say if in the present um, the people that had been oppressed are not actually oppressed anymore, you know, in any way, I would say then no, we probably shouldn't worry about that. But, you know, there are very real signs of, even if individual people aren't racist, there is, you know, there are signs of systemic racism, things that just right. kind of carried over from that. So I think probably the better solution would be to just figure out the causes of this systemic issue Mm -hmm. and solve those problems rather than directly like identifying like you said with something we did in the past let's just right. fix fix what's happening now because well, there are obvious problems with where we are now but you know we, we need well to... i mean a lot of the problems stem with education as like yeah one of the basic building blocks and... yeah and where people like congregate like the where the inner city places are and where the bad parts of town are it just um, there's, 
Yeah, I guess there there are some housing issues, there are some policing issues that need to get fixed, but yeah, I don't know. There's, no, it's a really a tricky issue. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, I generally tend to think that if you if there's a policy that's good for some people and it's good for all people, it's best to mm-hmm. do it for all people because there'll be more buy-in from everyone and there's right. not going to be any sort of resentment. It's like the same sort of thing with the whole universal basic income debate where a lot of old timers, especially old conservative Republicans, they think, right. hey, why am I going to let all of these young millennial kids or Gen Z kids have free college? And when I had to pay my way, I had to pay my dues. I worked hard mm-hmm. to get here. Why should they get all this free stuff? But yep. if instead you have a freedom dividend where everyone gets it, no matter what your age, ethnicity, no matter what factors, then mm-hmm. everyone's going to have buy-in. And I think that will probably lead to more healing in society. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. And yeah, I mean, I, I agree. That's <laughs> Yeah. So what do you think? Do you want to, should we get into the um, future scenarios yeah. now? Let's do yeah, it. Yeah, let's do it. All right, we'll take a super quick break. And then we'll get into the worst case, best case, and most likely future scenarios. All right, Justin, what do you believe is the worst case scenario for the future of presence? Worst case scenario. Yeah, so mine kind of revolves around the state of technology and media and advertising and all of that stuff. Yeah. So I think... With the worst case, the the current incentive structure in the um, market just kind of continues and amplifies. So there's going to be billboards everywhere. There's notifications all over the place. There's people and noises and, you know, especially in big cities where there's like New York where there's sirens all the time. Just things that break you out of the present Um continue to rise and i think you know as technology progresses and as we have augmented reality where people are you know always being notified of something with you know some some future version of google glass where you get a little notification above somebody's head telling you about who they are you know just all of these things um that is happening with technology and where augmented reality ads everything is going I just think it'll create a never-ending cycle of interruptions and people mm. can't get out of this. And that, so they're always living in this this interrupted state where they can't be in the present for more than a few moments at a time. Right. Um, so that's, that's something that I think could get worse and worse, especially if people have less and less control over their technology. Maybe this isn't as big of a problem in the U.S., but maybe in other countries that are more oppressive and they have very specific cell phone designs where they don't have control over, you know, airplane mode and do not disturb. Um, right. So, so I just, I, that's kind of what I think just having a never ending cycle of interruptions as technology progresses, as overpopulation progresses, you know, it, there's, there's right. a lot of factors as we go forward that'll keep people from living in the present moment. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, I, I mean, the thought that comes to mind, the visual thought, is mm. having an Apple Watch and it's buzzing on your wrist all the time, and every time it buzzes, uh-huh. you have to look at it. And 
Obviously, yeah. some people love this and it makes them be more productive. Personally, I don't think I could do it. Yeah. But if you take that to the next level where technology is so interwoven with, with human productivity, and if we continue to really just care about GDP and productivity and all the metrics now, which are totally misplaced, they're not about right. happiness and fulfillment and the things that actually matter. The more we focus on those metrics, the more people become cogs that are never really truly living in the present moment. And I actually am most worried about the people who are told what to do by machines mm -hmm. as opposed to the people who tell machines what to do. And I guess so this kind of gets a little bit into the most likely scenario. But I think that the most I think that people who are telling machines what to do are likely to become more mindful as time goes on. I mean, think okay. of like the Jack Dorsey's of the world, like yep. high powered tech CEO runs multiple companies or like Elon Musk or whatever. I mm -hmm. mean, these these people, they have made a point of bringing mindfulness into their own life. And the reason is that that's precisely the advantage that humans have over machines is the ability mm -hmm. to be totally creative in the moment to, yep. you know, to basically just be a sense of awareness that uh -huh. can manage all of these very mind energy type of computers and machines. Yeah. So I think we're going to see like sort of a tech elite that are very mindful and that are very productive also. But yeah. I'm really concerned in the worst case scenario about the people that are, you know, like think of like the Uber drivers and people who are just basically told what to do and they yeah. don't have a lot of volition. And the more yeah. that we remove that volition, especially in a world where, you know, there's self-driving cars, most things mm -hmm. are automated, then you, you're not living your life anymore. You're, you're, just, mm -hmm. you're just responding to different uh, sensations. And, yeah. You know. you, I mean, you lose all sense of agency. Right. So right. Like you, you can't make any decision. Well, you make some decisions for yourself. But, but way less. I mean, you lose serendipity. Like the idea yeah. that you would randomly go into a library and see a cute yeah. girl and spark up a conversation and then it becomes this like, this like uh -huh. Hallmark movie type of, situation like that's not going to happen in the future right i mean it, it might but a lot of the trends are pointing towards a system where it's like okay this is the girl for you boom oh like, yeah you know or like that's this true. this that is the job that we're we're slotting you into this job because based on uh -huh. our assessment that's what you're going to do and you know you get there at 8 a.m you stay this you know always this many hours like that's sort of like regimented um mentality could become much greater in the future but it's really up to up yeah. to all of us yeah and i mean we can i mean we don't need to but there there are arguments about free will and whether we have it or not but what depend no matter what your argument is on whether we have free will we still have a form of agency even if you know at the most fundamental level we're not you know we're not really um driving the the train there but if if we can make decisions for ourselves then and retain agency and sovereignty, then these things can happen. And that's kind of, I guess, more towards the best case scenario. Like, yeah. So like let's, get in, let's get into the best case then. Best case scenario. Yeah, so if, I think if, um, it, you know, it's kind of the opposite of what I said for the worst case. So the, the design of technology 
um, and the incentive structure around the innovations in technology are totally aligned with individual individual freedom individual choice and also some people don't explicitly make the choice to be more mindful and that's okay but i think if technology was designed in a way that made it easier to where people didn't even need to think about being in the present they just were in the present kind of like back you know several thousand years ago when we were living in the the plains of africa where we had to live in the present because right. of the way our environment was structured. I think I think there is a way. I don't even know what. what well, the I mean, there are some hopeful trends in that regard. Like, for instance, uh-huh. think about the feature of screen time with yeah. iPhones. So for mm. so now, it's like you have that higher self that can observe how much time mm. your lower monkey self is spending being distracted by Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, mm. whatever it is. And so having that ability to sort of check yourself, I think yeah. that trend could continue and there are good signs of it continuing. And like that's sort of the antithesis of like the YouTube autoplay, which everyone yeah. feels like is annoying. Like at least Netflix asks, are you still watching? Like YouTube just keeps feeding it like it's force feeding <laughs> like some sort of farm animal is like what yeah. it's trying to do. Yeah. Um, no. So, yeah, you can design technology to be better. But um, even in cities, for example, kind of like we talked about in our Future of Cities episode, where you can you can design cities one to be safer, to you know to make things you're just looking around and you're just in awe of like beautiful architecture and beautiful things all around you and and trees and flowers. Um, whereas if you're in more of a concrete jungle where everything looks exactly the same, then you're kind of just like a dr- It's kind of like droning again. Right. Um, Right. And then the other thing, too, is uh, policy decisions. Hmm. So a lot of people don't live in the present because of uh, worry of where the next paycheck is going to come from or how we're going to pay the bills. So people are living in the future and worrying about the future. Oh, yeah. But- so if people don't need to worry about that, you know, with the div- the freedom dividend or UBI, then that I mean, that brings the uh, barrier to entry into this mindfulness space way lower. Totally. And the perfect case study of that is something I just shared on our Hence the Future Twitter account. But mm-hmm. basically, if you look at where opioid addiction is the greatest, it's the greatest in the states that have the lower lab- the lowest labor force participation rates. So basically, mm-hmm. the most people that are unemployed that don't have a sense of meaning from their work. And mm-hmm. in West Virginia, which is the hardest hit of all Tennessee is actually number two really yeah but in West Virginia there are 110 opioid prescriptions for every 100 people that means they have more opioid prescriptions than people I mean you can look at the chart this is a legit it's from CNBC crazy and if you think about that why why are people addicted to opioids it's because they're trying to escape from all of this time being spent in the past and the future Like either if they're depressed, thinking about the past, all the mistakes they made that led to them not being able to have a job or the future, like, oh, shit, where am I going to get the money for my next rent? Mm -hmm. And so opium um, or opioids allow you to live in the present kind of, but it's a very foggy version of living in the present. You're like, 
it, it's like you're some sort of amorphous cloud that's like you're not at yeah. least you're not anxious or depressed but you're not really living either right and i think that's really indicative of this this uh these mental maladies that mm-hmm. are all across the nation or all across the world because yeah, of yeah. because of uh, our inability to have presence yeah yeah i totally agree what um, do you think for the best case yeah, so, I mean, I already talked about how I think technology can move in a direction where it gives more people power, like in the screen time example. Another part of my best case scenario is actually teaching meditation and mindfulness from an early age in schools. I think if we focus more on, like, for instance, in, in Bali, there's the green school, which is all spent in nature. They still have cutting-edge computer classes and, and that kind of stuff. But they spend a lot of the time in nature Mm -hmm. and they teach them things like yoga and meditation. They do lots of team sports, team building activities. And I think if we move towards more of a direction that's closer to the green school, I mean, that's going to have many fold returns throughout our society when all of these kids grow up and start running Mm -hmm. companies and starting families and all that other stuff. So I, I think my best case scenario largely depends on how we educate people from an early age about mindfulness and having presence. So like building the foundation of society, basically. Yeah, because if technology there and is the mindset of the people is there, then then we're golden. Yeah. So this green school, is this like a boarding school in Bali that anyone can go to? Or is it specifically a Bali based like locals go to this school? It's a local school for um, elementary school kids. I think it goes up to grade 12. Um, but okay. there's it, there's people from all over the world there, like right, um, yeah. So it's it's very international. But I think we're going to see more of these types of schools. Yeah, and, yeah. But if technology's not there, then it's going to be a, a really hard uphill battle. So we really need both aspects for the best case. Yeah. So what do you think about the the idea of cities versus nature? Like what? what would be your preference for, you know, living in the present? Would you prefer to live for this specific, you know, topic? Would you prefer to be in a city if you wanted to be the most present or would you want to live in a, um, in nature kind of remote in a rural area? Well, I I mean, I would like the best of both. So I would love something where there are just trees and parks throughout the city and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I live, I mean, I have some nice nature around me now. There could definitely be mm-hmm. more nature. Mm-hmm. But I like being in cities because it's important to be happy. It's also important to be moral. But it's also important to pursue excellence in your craft. And right. for me, pursuing excellence in my craft is is better done by being in a big city where I can sort of be yeah. on the cutting edge of tech and everything mm-hmm. else that's coming along. So, I, but I think there are a lot of opportunities like with the boring company and some, you know, the future of transportation and cities, those episodes we talked about, we could get to a point where we're living in something that looks very much like what we had thousands of years ago when we were evolving, mm-hmm. but we still have technology all throughout. So we can still be very productive and we can yeah. respond with the utmost efficiency whenever earth is threatened by an asteroid or climate change or people are starving or whatever the the challenge of the day may be. Okay. So Singapore is always a city that comes to mind as someone, as a city who, you know, integrates nature 
and innovation. Yeah. I, I really want to see what the, the future of cities in the U.S. looks like. Um, I hope yeah. that we can kind of yeah. approximate this nature plus city integration. Because like you were saying, the being in a city, um, it also helps with these serendipitous moments of like, be you know, as you're in the present and if you're open and receptive to things in the moment, then good things can happen. It's almost like you can make your own luck by you know, being receptive to anything and everything. And when you have more opportunities for good things to happen in a city where there are more people and more interactions, um, yeah. you know, that's, that's kind of like the ultimate version of living in the present and, you know, being a master of your craft and having these serendipitous moments of good things happening. Totally. Also, the more that you live amongst people and interact with strangers and other people, the more you feel like we're all connected and we're all trying, we all have the same struggles and dr hopes and dreams. But mm -hmm. when you live totally removed from society, you know, like in a, as a hermit, then mm -hmm. the tendency is to become more distrusting of people. And, you know, we see this in yeah. politics all the time. The rural areas tend to be really distrusting of people. Whereas people who live in cities are like, oh yeah, most people are good. I do business with people all the time. I trust people yeah. all the time not to screw me over because, you know, mm -hmm. it works pretty well in this city. So right. I think it is good to have both. Mm -hmm. Agreed. What do you think for the most likely? Most likely scenario. So my most likely, I sort of touched on it already, but I think there is going to be a greater trend towards mindfulness for different sections of society. So I think early on, like in the very near term, there's going to be a greater sense of presence and mindfulness for the techno elite or people who basically like are sort of driving the economy. Um, unfortunately, that that's, tends to be a trend in this podcast. Yeah. But... The hopeful thing is that I actually do think it's most likely that people become more mindful and more presence once we give them a basic level of security where they don't have to worry mm -hmm. as much about the past or the future. And that is the freedom dividend or universal basic mm -hmm. income. I think once people have that, that gives them choices and they'll be able to be more mindful. And I do think eventually we are going to move to the point where we teach more mindfulness in schools. It may take a while, but... I mean, the rote memorization that we teach today is just not valuable anymore. And eventually mm -hmm. we're going to realize it's not valuable and we're going to start really cultivating creativity, interpersonal mm -hmm. connections, storytelling, all these things that are uniquely human, design, aesthetics. Right. And so I'm actually very hopeful for the future as a whole. I just think it's going to take longer for, you know, the, the people who are in the short term going to be told by machines what to do for them to live in the present because mm -hmm. it'll be more stressful for them. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And kind of along the same lines, um, I, I think it'll, it'll be different depending on who you are and what, you know, what your personal objectives are in life, because I think there's a difference between actually living in the present and having the ability to live in the present. So I think there's, unfortunately, right now, a lot of people that don't even have the ability to live in the present because there is so much worry about the paychecks and every, you know, what they did in the past. 
I do think something will happen. I, I, I trust that a lot of tech companies and the people that are um, designing these products will want the best for humanity and start um, optimizing for something besides ad revenue. Right. Um, kind of like Facebook is doing a complete uh, overhaul of their of their system. So th- I think we're moving in the right direction in terms of uh, technology design, and I think eventually we will have a freedom dividend. But mm. I so I think in the likely case, there's still not going to be a huge fraction of society that practices mindfulness and living in the present there will still be people that you know that it's just not even of interest or they're just unaware of it Um, so so i think we'll we'll probably move to a better overall structure and infrastructure for people to get to that point or at least be able to like lower the barrier we just i don't know um, how many of those people will actually cross that barrier and if they're even interested in crossing the barrier, no matter how low it is, because it is, you know, really nice to have these little dopamine hits scrolling through social media and all of these, yeah, um, yeah. these different things. So, so we'll see. I think it's, it's part good and part bad for my <laughs> likely right. scenario. Yeah, I hear you, man. I mean, you know, it's going to be a challenge, but yeah, I'm pretty hopeful for humanity. Yeah. Well, thank you everyone for listening to today's episode. This has been the Future of Presence. Please go about your day with mindfulness. We are all present and live in the moment. Try to be just like your dog. (laughs) And know that your attitude is infectious and you have reality. What is currently happening and what will inevitably happen. The past, the present, and the future. Present is the future.